1: We've got some great college football on tap, led by Florida State at Clemson. We're going to talk to Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, our college football writer, all about this week's games and what happened last week, too, for that matter. But let's start, Steve Versnick. I, I, I you know, I got to believe that Mike Evans think that this is wacko, what's going on with the Lightning and Steven Stamkos, man. Um, and, and here's what I want to say about it. So Steven Stamkos, it was media day at the Tampa Bay Lightning, as we all know because we had Eduardo Encina on, and he told us. Um, mentioned or answered the question that, you know, this is the last year of his contract, and he was asked essentially where that stands, if there's been any discussions, and he said no. And I'm par- paraphrasing here, but it's basically, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. You know, I told them I would have liked to have take, talked about this during the off season. There's been no discussions. You'll know, have to ask Julian Breeze, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this is a guy that's, 34 years old. Um,
0: Will be next year when the contract.
1: Will be when the contract's up, up. yeah, 33 now. But clearly wants to finish his career in Tampa Bay. He's an iconic player, probably on the Mount Rushmore if there was one um, of Tampa Bay sports. But it it was stunning in just sort of the complete lack of dialogue. Now, here's here's where it gets screwy for me, and this is very reminiscent, I think, of – sort of what's going on with Mike Evans. You have a team that's got a lot of salary cap issues. Um, not really sure, you know, what they're going to get from their veteran uh, iconic player. Kind of would like to see that. But on top of it, here's what's, here's where it's different, I think. Breeze Bob put out a statement after that, um, kind of going into some detail about... Well, he held a press their, conference. I mean, or he, he, held a press he said conference. this at a press
0: conference, yeah.
1: Okay, I saw the transcription is what I saw. Yep. Okay, so he went into it a little bit and he kind of, you know, talked about how, wanting to see where they were at as a team, which players would emerge, which ones would not, um, salary cap, yada, yada. It was just, it was a lot of word salad you'd expect from a general manager that is kind of up against it with a 30, 30 soon to be 34 year old player. But what I'm wondering is this if you had all this to say after Stamkos raised the issue, why weren't
0: you saying it to
1: Stamkos? I mean, in other words, he made it sound like there had been no dialogue. Now, maybe he means no negotiations, no offers, that, that kind of thing.
0: I think that's it. And, 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 and that's what Steven Stamkos seems to be upset about. Uh, you know, based on what they've said, I think they had a conversation or Julian's agent and said, we're not going to do anything until the end of the season. Mm. I mean, that's what Julian said in his press conference today. He said he needs more information. And, and that information includes how the team does this year, what pieces they need next year, what happens to the salary cap in the NHL. It's been basically flat for three years now. It's gone up a half million, a million. It's rumored to be possibly going up four 4 million or so next year. But you don't know that for certain until the league gets its revenues for the year. You know, that's how the salary caps determined. The last few years, the players have been paying back escrow, because the owners
2: paid uh, more yeah. than
0: half of everything, and in in, during the COVID years when they had no revenue coming in from seats, butts and seats and that, right, right? And so that's why the salary cap has been flat. And the and the NHL salary cap is a very hard cap. Mm-hmm. It's not like the NFL where you can keep pushing money back, right? You know, once you sign that contract, so Stephen Stamkos wants a new deal. Have no idea if he's laid out a framework for how he wants to be compensated financially. He's made, his last contract was an eight year deal for eight and a half million dollars a year. He's going to be 34. I can't imagine the lightning are wanting to pay him eight and a half million a year going forward. But how much does he want? How much are they? Want? And and as Julian said, he doesn't know he needs more information and there are a lot of factors. And a thirty-four-year-old forward. How how does he look by the end of this year? Well, that's and, and, the
1: biggest thing. We have all the things you just said. That one makes the most sense mm-hmm. to me because you want to see what what does Stamkos have left? You know, in other words, if he goes out there and say he gets hurt, misses most of the season, um, versus you know he plays every game as he did what last year, I think it's a different deal, right? Like what mm-hmm. what are what is his his short and long term health? The, his age is a factor. Look, he's He's almost four years, three to four years older than Mike Evans. Now I know they play a different sport, but they're mm-hmm. both in the same situation. But Stamkos um,
0: has had some injury issues over the years,
1: no doubt. He's missed whole seasons, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and you know, and Julian Breezeball even mentioned, look, Stamkos is probably coming off the best two years stretch of his career.
1: Certainly, yeah, you could argue that,
0: you know. But he needs more info, like how's he going to look by the end of the year. And That's
1: the whole thing, man. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. Yep. That and the fact that you know you're going to have other other guys to sign, and you you don't know what are the needs you're necessarily going to have. But the biggest thing is how do you treat um, an aging iconic superstar? And in both cases, the Bucks and the Lightning. Now I know this about the Bucks um, for all the you know sort of deadlines and mm-hmm. rhetoric that you heard from Mike Wayne, uh, Mike Evans' camp. Um, they did talk to Mike. There was open dialogue, particularly Mm -hmm. between Jason Light and Mike Evans. In other words, you know, it wasn't acrimonious at any point. I'm sure he's not happy, but they explained themselves to him personally. And, you know, and part of it was, too, they're like, look, you know, the last contract you did many years ago was a five-year deal. If you'd have done a three-year deal, even a four-year deal, it would have been easier Maybe to talk about you know the next two, three, four years and and I think Evans understood that i didn't like the I didn't like the tone that that Stamp Coast had i I thought you know, I think he was being honest, but you know are we are we sure that Breeze explained to him exactly what he said in the press conference today the way he said that I don't know um I would assume he would, but
0: it, it, yeah, I mean you know those are conversations between the two. Parties, whether it was with what Stephen was it directly, whatever, yeah, yeah. You know what exactly was said? I mean, you know, I, I, I got the feeling that Steven Stamkos wants to stay here, and I don't think there's any question about that.
1: No, I think he sure would like to. with Mike
0: Evans? I'm guessing Stamkos has a number in mind. I'm, I, I, I my guess is is that he's disappointed there was a negotiation because I don't know if the Lightning wanted to hear a number.
1: Well, that's, that's I think what they may have do. Just when you said, don't, when you don't said, want to insult a guy, yeah. you, just, you don't talk numbers.
0: Yeah, I think they just said, we're going to wait till the end of the year to decide this.
1: Oh, and by the way, that's the exact same strategy the Bucks used with Mike Evans. They never received an offer. They never turned one down because one was never forwarded to them. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike Evans' agent at the time um, was talking about you know, Cooper Cup type of money, which is $25 million a year guaranteed for three years. Cooper Cup, by the way, is going to miss half the season, and he missed a bunch of games a year ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm sure the Rams would like to have not done that deal. But there was never any number thrown at Mike Evans by, by the Buccaneers. And that's probably the same strategy that Brisebois has used. They've not, they're not going – because if, if you do start – first of all <laughs> – whatever number you throw, you're likely to be, you know, you're going to be short of what he's thinking. And is that number going to insult the player to the point where he goes, you can't be serious. I have no future here. I'm gone, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that. And, and, and frankly, you know, there's no need to, uh, because they do, they want to see how he's going to play, how many games he can play, what, what the level of his play is. And then they'll decide it. Look, Vinny LeCavier was a pretty popular player here, too, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he did not finish his career in Tampa.
0: No, they bought him out.
1: Yeah. And he ended up in Philadelphia. He didn't play much, but that you know he he wore another uniform.
0: He wore a couple. He wore the Kings and the That's Flyers. Right. He to,
1: and... Yeah, he went to the Kings after the Flyers. You're yeah. right. So, Marty St. Louis didn't finish his career in Tampa. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just – it was funny because we're talking about this – I was just at a movie premiere of Ronnie Barber, which is sort of a, you know, this is your life, Rondi Barber, a movie that they did uh, called Prototype. And it's about his his story, life story and football story. And he was the one guy, right? Because up on that stage was Warren Sapp, boom. Didn't re-sign him, off to the Raiders. Uh, Derek Brooks, didn't offer him a contract, retired. Could have gone to the Saints. John Lynch, who was prominently in the film, boom, off to the Denver Broncos. And Rondé was the one guy that they kept for sixteen seasons. Is he the only guy in Tampa?
0: I mean, Evan Longoria in, didn't finish his career. Uh,
1: well, I mean, technically Brooks did because he didn't play anymore. Okay, yeah, so, that's true. But but he wanted he could have played someplace else, and he was ceremoniously dumped. Right. Um. Or unceremoniously dumped, and and he turned down a deal with the Saints. But but all the big names was,
0: of the Rays, they didn't finish here. Yeah, whether Rondé, yeah,
1: you know, is is probably the the most prominent, and and because of that, I think. And even though Brooks has never left the community, and he's very obviously very involved with his charities and his high school and all of that, there's 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 some general feeling that that Rondé has overtaken brooks in terms of being embraced more by tampa bay because he never left he played the longest he played the most games and he's still very visible in the community not that Derek isn't because he's like i said he's got a high school and stuff but you see Rondé at valspar you see Rondé everywhere he's sort of every man uh, I,
0: I, I i think you see Derek. i think there's probably some recency bias Maybe I mean you it's know. true. It, it, One just
1: it, went in the Hall of Fame.
0: Well, just went in the Hall of Fame, but played more recently, and we true. know this area is growing, and a lot true. of people aren't from here, and you know maybe they never saw Derek Brooks play. They may not have. You're right. I didn't. He was retired but by the, the time I got. The to
1: general death. sense I get is that maybe Rondé is more popular right now. I don't know. Yeah. Not that. Not that this is a thing. If you're yeah. a high school girl like my daughter, that's a big thing. Who's more popular?
0: Yeah, you but know. but high school girls you're really talking recency bias.
1: Yeah, like in the next Snapchat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean it's she a... she never saw Derek Brooks play.
1: Oh, you're talking about the debate. Yeah. yeah. I don't ask her. Yeah. I'm just talking about like in general the girls. Yes. This is a, this is a dad thing, but like the girls in high school, you know, it's like who's the most popular? You'll find out in 10 seconds. Oops, it's me, no it's not, you know. That's just that's social media. But I digress. Um but you know, and it was funny cuz and somehow we've segued into this, which is fine. That uh, Brooks and Sapp set up there, and kind of like, "Hey, man, nobody did a full-length movie for our our careers. <laughs> like, what, what's <laughs> going on here?" You know. And the the easy answer, I mean, Brooks finished his career here; he deserved it. They didn't even have a press conference for him. he was he was released on a one pager with Cato June and Warwick done. Ouch, so, babe. Yeah, very impersonal business, man. Um, uh, you know, not show business, not show friends, but the, the stamp goes thing is so exactly like Mike Evans. It's unbelievable. Now, if stamp Coast goes out in his second game and has about five, five or six goals, it will be like Mike Evans. Cause he's sitting here with a 170 yard game. He's coming off of, um, but I, I was floored by, I was kind of like, Hmm, that's not a good way to start your media day. You know, I wonder if they uh, I, I assume they thought that this would become a story when when they let the reporters talk to him. I don't know.
0: Well, I mean, I, I mean, presumably these conversations or the fact that Lock we're not going to have conversations going yeah. forward happened yeah. probably. And uh, when the season ended last year or as free agency open, I mean, in hockey, it's very strict on when. I mean, Steven Stamkos couldn't negotiate a new contract until July one this year. You can only sign a new contract when you have one year or less left in your contract, right? Um, so, technically, I mean, I'm not saying they didn't talk in April, May, whatever, but technically, July one is when they could start talking a contract. Mm. So, uh, presumably, the conversation or the conversation saying we're not going to have a conversation happened. I didn't. I doubt it was last week, because yeah, Stamkos said he wanted to to talk contract. I'm sure. If nothing else, he if the Lightning didn't reach out to him, he reached out previously. Or his agent, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he or his people. Right. But it was it was obvious Stephen wanted to make that statement to the media today.
1: No question. And, you know, again, you have a guy.
0: Look, I, if you
1: were to have a good season and, and there's one team that wants a Stanley Cup champion, you know, a la Pat Maroon, that come in and teach him how to how to win it all. I can see Stamkos doing it. Um, it'll all depend on where the team is and, and whether the needs they have and, you know, sort of what the salary cap and all that is. It's just I think it becomes harder to try to pay a guy for his future when he gets to be 33, 34 years old. You know, you're not paying him for the past. I mean, it, it, obviously he means the world to – to this organization he's going to be a hall of famer he's mm-hmm. going to have his jersey in the rafters and all of that stuff but you know how much how much can you pay him at, at 34 years old or soon to be 30
0: well and the other the other part of that equation is how much does he want <clears throat> true and, and and we don't know any of that
1: and that's a prideful thing you know that that's mm-hmm. one of those things where you know what what some team will pay you tells you what they think of you you know I thought it was, you know, and this has gone, this has sort of gone, uh, I think, overlooked with the Buccaneers. You know, Mike Evans is sitting here. Now, Mike is a lot older than Levante David, right? But Mike Evans is sitting here and, you know, they're talking about $25, $23, 25000000 million a year. Levante David, who made $12.5 million each of the last two years uh, on his contract, was a free agent. And they brought him back for $4 million. four four and a half like a Mm -hmm. like roughly a third of what he was making nobody said anything about it I mean he accepted it so you know and I'm sure there's probably a team or two that would love to have him and he can still he can still play I mean he's Mm -hmm. not the Levante David you know five years ago clearly but he took an enormous pay cut to stay here and finish his career here Mm -hmm. presumably it's a one-year deal You know, we're going to pay as you go. See what you got. See what you got this year. You take this. Yeah, we'd love to have you back. If you don't, we're not going to give you any more than that. So just a different, you know, sort of set of circumstances, but nonetheless a, a major player for years and years and years on their football team, and, you know, he's taking a big pay cut. So you're right. How much Stamkos wants, how much he thinks he could get somewhere else, it's a respect thing, you know. It, it really is. It's it is. not even. But about with the, the hard money.
0: cap in the NHL and the fact it's been flat for so many years, yeah, a lot of these deals, I mean, for instance, had the cap continued to go up, if COVID didn't shut everything down and the cap continued to go up a couple million a year like it was before, right? and, and like presumably it's going to in the future,
1: will they still have Yanni then, Gordon, Andre Pilat, and those guys?
0: Um, Maybe not all of them, but some. They would still have right. Ryan McDonough. That would be a big one, yeah. His deal wouldn't have looked – it wouldn't have been as bad at 6-point-whatever million. Yeah. You know, the fact that for three years now it basically has not gone up, but you sign deals, stamp Coast, et cetera, with – you know, when you signed it, you assumed that the cap was going to go up a couple million every year. And so mm-hmm. as you're building your team for the future and projecting out players, contracts, etc. you know, all of a sudden those deals don't look as good. You know, when you sign Steven Stamkos for $8.5 million, it was a bargain in oh, 2016. Yeah. It was supposed to really be a bargain by 2023 because the cap should have been 8 or $10 million more than it is now. Correct. And it's not. And so that's what's made a lot of tough decisions for, not just the lighting, but a lot of teams. And it, it's harder, you know, until you know the cap's going up and, you know, the estimates are it's probably going to go up around four million next year, but those are estimates and guesses. Mm-hmm. And until you play a season, and the NHL collects all those revenues, they don't determine the salary cap for next year. They, they, you know, you as an organization, you have, an, and the NHL has an idea of what they think the revenues will be this year, but you don't know what's going to happen. You know, for instance, what if Bally stops paying all those teams? As they're going through bankruptcy or whatever happens in the bankruptcy court. It, well, what if, you know, what, what if things happen again? And that's what, you know, so, you, you know, you want players to get their money and you, you, you really want Steven Stamkos to finish his career as a Lightning player. Heck yeah. I mean, he is, you know, he is the greatest lightning player of all time.
1: He's the captain, man. Mm-hmm. He's Derek Jeter of the Tampa Bay lightning.
0: But in, in you know as much as it's just I I see both sides. Like you want Stamkos to get his money, you want him to finish here, but you also see the predicament Julian Breezebois in.
1: Sure. And what players will it cost him if he signs him to a contract that he's happy with?
0: Right. You know. And you know I mean, Julian's job is to make them competitive for Stanley Cups every year. Yeah. Not just this yep. year or next, but every year.
1: Right. Yep. Yep. That's the GM's job. It's going to be a tough one, man. I I. Let me ask you this: Which player, Mike Evans or Steven Stamkos, is more likely to be back next year and finish their career in Tampa Bay?
0: Great question, right? I'll say Stamkos.
1: Really? Okay. Okay, so they'll work it. Up. They'll find that number, whatever it is.
0: Oh, I, I, I think. Look, look, the conversation. And this is, I assume, from the Bucks. It's the same as what I believe from the Lightning. The conversation is, not we don't want you. It's we're going to wait another year to see. And as Julian Breeswell said, I need more information. Maybe you think that's BS, but kind of. I think there, I think that I think more information. I mean, the
1: more information is going to be how much can you play and what do you have left. Well, that's and part of yeah. Well, he, watch during the season. He you know? he
0: alluded to that too, as well as the cap and other things too. What the team looks like, what kind of pieces they might need to add. Mm-hmm. It, it's this is the dirty side of sports.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's the business side, and mm-hmm. the business can be dirty. And, 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 you know, like I said, most players as they get older don't get more productive and less injured, and that's that's just the way of the world. And and I personally believe that Evans will not play here last, next year. Um, you never, I don't think you ever say ever, but never, but I, I just kind of feel as though he knows it, and he still has probably two to three good years, really mm-hmm. good years, solid years left in him. And whether he goes home and plays for Houston or he goes to Dallas, where I don't know, mm-hmm. ultimately, but somebody's going to pay him. Somebody will pay him for those two years that has a better salary cap situation and wants to win a Super Bowl and thinks they need some yeah. receivers.
0: That's the other part of the Stamkos contract: is how many years does he want to deal? Well, sure. And and remember this: the the in hockey, it's guaranteed. It's all guaranteed fully, money, fully guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, it's not. You know, okay, we'll pay you twenty million, but only five is guaranteed and whatever.
1: Yeah, next year's contract's
0: not guaranteed at all. Yeah. Right. And hockey, once the contract's signed, it's fully guaranteed. Which
1: is nice. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think there's a chance. Not a great one, but I think there's a chance they would re sign Evans. Let's say let's say he goes out there and he puts up, you know, fifteen, sixteen hundred yards and about fourteen touchdowns. Well, you you can't say that he's slowing down if he's that productive Mm -hmm. and if he stays healthy. The the problem is is that Godwin has one more year in a non-guaranteed $20 million deal. So you could be paying two receivers $45 million, which Mm -hmm. is just a hell of a lot for two players, especially at that position. But if you come to the point, and and part of this will have to do with this season from Godwin's perspective. Chris Godwin's been beat up, man. He is, you know... All outward appearances seem to be good, but, like, at the end of the day, this mm-hmm. guy has been through it. If he slows down or, that, God forbid, there's another injury or it looks like he's mm-hmm. broken in some way, now you're like, yeah, we don't have to worry about paying Chris Godwin $20 million next year. We'll just move yeah. on.
0: Well, and here's the other part of the equation for the Buccaneers in that, as Julian Breeswell called it, information.
1: The information, yeah.
0: The Bucs have 13, 14 whatever rookies on this team. Oh, yeah. How many of them are legit rookies that can start stepping up and doing even more next year? Sure. And if you have a lot of those that you go, you know what, they're good, that frees up money on the cap.
1: No question.
0: You know, a lot of those no rookies, question. You know, some are playing now, but a lot of them are more backups in special teams. But if you start seeing that they can step into bigger roles. Oh, yeah. And then you've got them for three more years on a rookie deal. Right. Then it frees up money. But if, if those players don't pan out, and you got to go sign some veterans or dip more into free agency. Then there's less money available. It
1: changes. It changes your equation. Yeah. Really interesting. Two two of the greatest names in Tampa Bay sports, both sort of looking at their teams and um, doing the eye rolls and wondering like what's going on, but it'll be something to watch uh, really throughout the year. All right. Um, Let's talk about the Rays. We'll get to Matt Baker here in college football real quick. Boy, did they blow a great opportunity. So, earlier in the day, the Baltimore Orioles finally lost to the Houston Astros. Yeah, thanks, uh,
0: Houston, for taking one of three.
1: Well, yeah, but they, they did take the one. And they did it in the afternoon. And they did it in the ninth inning with a walk-off uh, hit or whatnot. And yet, even even given all this motivation and going against one of the worst teams in baseball, what did the Tampa Bay Rays do? Take advantage, cut into that bit, that three game lead. No, no, they went out and got hammered eight to three. But not only did they get beat eight to three, the Rays struck out nineteen hitters of the Angels in their lineup. Nineteen—it's a club record, and it's also a Major League Baseball record in that it's the largest mar- margin of defeat for a team that has struck out nineteen hitters. I. I they played a bad game. Like, they just, they, they, they made. Well, bad it, plays it started in the, in the first field.
0: inning. I mean, there were some bobbled balls, some. Yeah,
1: just sloppy defense, yep. and pitcher wasn't good and, you know, didn't
0: hit. But, didn't you know, hit. hey, they made history tonight. So, you know, <laughs>
1: they did. They're, They're historical. making history. It's a, he's making an argument. It, it's a historical <laughs> season, man. It really is. Um, not always in the best way, but it is that. So, they got a chance, you know, to to take it today and, and, and come back and beat the Angels. But now you're down to about nine games. And the math just isn't working for you, especially when um, they get the tiebreaker because they won the season series. Yep. So, this one's pretty much gone. But if they'd have won, you, you'd go like, oh, okay, well, you know, trimmed another game off. You never know. But... That was that was not a good loss. If there's such a thing as a really bad loss, they're all bad, obviously. But um, that one seems worse than than many. So they'll see if they bounce back this afternoon. They got got the Angels one more time and um, hopefully get back on track and at least start to build some momentum. Even if you're not going to be the AL East champions, you're going to host some team in a very short series, presumably. So start to you know start to get toasty. Start to look like a like a team that's got a little momentum before you enter uh, that first round of the playoffs. All right, Matt Baker coming up in just a minute. I just want you guys to know that already you're aware it's hurricane season, right, in Florida, but there's still time to keep the power on without breaking the bank. That's what getting solar battery backup power from May Electric Solar is all about. Now with solar battery backup power, there is no fuel cost, no loud generator noise, no annual maintenance cost, plus May Electric Solar offers a 15-year warranty Now, solar battery backup can save you hundreds of dollars each month. And if you lose power, a generator could cost you over $2,000 a week just to keep your house running. New solar battery systems qualify for a 30% tax credit or you can add a battery to your existing phase solar system. Trust the pros in solar to learn more about May Electric Solar's battery backup or to get started. Call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. Best time of the week and maybe one of the best college football weekends so far this year, and we get to talk to Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, who covers all things college sports for us. And Matt, let's start with last week, because when we went into uh, a Saturday ago, it was a litmus test for Florida, uh, who is hosting Tennessee, and really didn't know quite what to expect. It it seemed like a, a crossroads game for Billy Napier, and I'll tell you what, Florida Gators didn't disappoint.
2: Yeah, definitely not. Thanks for having me on. I honestly feel like we could just run the show back from the week before, (laughs) where everything that I said about Miami in terms of kind of the breakthrough win, the proof of concept validation for Mario Cristobal and those guys by beating A&M, this was the same thing, except it was Billy Napier in Florida against Tennessee. I mean, validation or validating was the word that that Billy Napier used afterward, and and I thought it was a really good one, because... What we saw on Saturday, that is what he wants Florida to be. It's not going to be you know, – they're not going to be Steve Spurrier and throw it a zillion times and score 55 points. That, that's not who they are. That's not what Billy wants to do. That's not the, the personnel that he's uh, accumulating, that he's amassing. He wants to be a ball-control kind of team where they have really good running backs, a really good offensive line, and they play complementary football where the quarterback's not – like I said, he's not going to throw it 50 times. He's going to throw it 25 times, 20 times, and going to be very efficient and complete a bunch of those passes. And then they're going to lean on a, a, a sound defense on the other side and, and put those two together, and they've got something. And that's what he was able to do to a, a good amount of success at Louisiana. And I think Saturday in the Swamp was the first time you could see the pieces fit together, really, against a good opponent, a very maybe a very good opponent in Tennessee, to where they finally kind of notched that big win. So that's, to me, what made that so impressive. Not just the fact that they won, but how they won with the blueprint clearly in place of what Billy wants to do. He has shown now that it can work against a a, a highly regarded Tennessee team. Now, can that work against LSU and Georgia and Florida State later this year? We'll find out. But for one night in the swamp, for one day in the swamp, he showed that it can work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't, We talked about this, how this was a real crossroads-type game, but, I mean, the fact that it was home was good. I don't know what would have happened if they hadn't had a good accounting of themselves, but that's exactly what Florida needed, and now all things are possible for them. Another SEC team ventured into Tampa, and i got to be honest with you, man, this is a 3-3 game in the fourth quarter, and I know that Nick Saban and Alabama are still trying to figure out who their quarterback is, and that's not a small thing. But for USF to, to hang with them, and, and they're, as you know their coach said, there's no moral victories. But if there was such a thing, Matt, I think this was a huge step forward for the Bulls.
2: Oh, there's no question it was a huge step forward for for USF. If you would have told me at the start of the season, or shoot, if you would have told me on Saturday morning, USF is going to be in a dogfight with Alabama in the second half, I, I would have said no way. Um, but they did it. And yeah, I understand the whole no moral victory things, but... Man, they they acquitted themselves very, very well. It's hard to come away with that, particularly the effort on defense. Um, Yeah, Alabama's got issues, and we'll talk about that in a second. But USF played well on defense uh, against a team that should have a lot more dudes. And considering how awful their defense was last year, year over year that is tremendous improvement and speaks very, very highly of where they're going. Um, Obviously, offensively, they didn't do a ton, um, but... Alabama's got a really good defense, so I think there's a good amount of that in there. Um, now, to kind of to look at both sides of this, Byron Brown was the best quarterback on Saturday, and it wasn't close. And there, again, there's two sides here. Let's start with the USF side. That's really, really good for them. You know, Brown looked good last year when, when he played at the end of the year, and the fact that he was able to play. You know, to to make a bunch of plays with his legs, in particular, against a, a very good Bama defense, that says a lot about who he is and what he can do. Sure, um, you know, I I think honestly, if there were trades, I think Alabama might have wanted to trade for him um, based <laughs> on what we saw. Um, and that goes to to the Alabama side. Yeah, you know, the, it's the old saying, right? If you got three quarterbacks, you ain't got one. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, it, it's it's bad. Um, that's not to take away from USF's performance on defense, but we can view these things independently as well. And Alabama has got some major issues there. Um, I, I think it's become, look, I had questions at the end of the year, right. I only had him was it six on my AP ballot. God forbid. Um, and, and frankly, I probably should have trusted my gut and said lower um, just because I didn't know about how they were going to do with Tommy Reese, the new offensive coordinator who didn't do like a lights out job when he was at Notre Dame. And the fact that they went and got Tyler Buckner through the transfer portal, who wasn't like the most highly regarded dude either, that kind of told you a little bit, maybe a little bit more than a little bit, uh, about Alabama's quarterback room. And the fact that, to loop it another state school, the fact that there were so many rumblings about uh, Tyler Van Dyke leaving Miami for Alabama, um, you know, who who knows how true all that stuff was. But the fact is there were a lot of rumors about it to the point where Miami put out this weird graphics and, QE1, Tyler Van Dyke, like, it was so bizarre. that That's college football in 2023. So Alabama had some issues, is, is my long say way of saying this. And uh, those issues were magnified Saturday at Ray J. And they are going to continue to be magnified unless, you know, Milrow comes back in and starts and they're able to kind of scheme around. It. And we've seen it from BAM before um, in, in 2015. Uh, Cooper Bateman started in a loss against Ole Miss and they bought Jake Coker off the bench and he ended up you know, leading them to the national championship, the, the former Florida State transfer. So maybe there's a way that they can figure this out and become the Alabama that we have been used to seeing. I just think it's more likely that Alabama is just another good to really good team and this is just kind of where they are this year and maybe for a while, maybe this is kind of yeah, maybe they're just another really good team. Maybe that mystique is going away.
1: Yeah, I and mean, that's what you talked about earlier this year It was was just how Alabama is is not um, what they had been and that each year it seems like other teams, whether it's Georgia, um, you know, back in the day, Clemson, I mean, other teams are starting to whittle away a little bit at their dominance. And um, now you have Texas coming to the SEC. I mean, there's there's so many competition here for, for these kind of players uh, that maybe he's, sort of a, a victim of his own success these other coaches go to the where other places in building programs so I was shocked I was shocked that Alabama could not find a quarterback um, to get the ball down the field and just complete a forward pass it was and it could not that usF was able to do that either I think they set football back a few years on Saturday uh, the way it was going but um, that was a good effort by by goalish now let's see because they got to match that or exceed it uh you know as they move forward with their next game was against rice wouldn't it?
2: Correct. So I want to I want to just piggyback on something you said. You're talking about kind of the the talent disbursement a little bit. Yeah. And Bama and Saban not getting as much as usual. Um, We are recording this. What is it? Wednesday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And my my Twitter timeline earlier today was filled with two congressional hearings, one with Merrick Garland about (laughs) something (laughs) or other with politics. I don't do politics. We'll (laughs) leave that aside. The other one was about NIL. And yeah. it's some of the whole, Oh my gosh, the sky is falling and mm-hmm. you won't believe this, but now there are, uh, there there are recruits who want to get paid to go on visits. Oh, oh my, my God, this has never happened before. Oh, holy moly. Um, but one of the things about the NIL era in our limited data set so far, there's definitely more talent disbursement. It's not a ton, but if you look at where the top recruits in the country are going, it's, at best, there's been no change from where it was five years ago, but there's some evidence to suggest that it's a little bit more spread out. And the transfer portal is another part of it. Um, you know, Rice coming, you know, Rice playing USF is a good example where their quarterback is JT Daniels, sure. who went from USC to Georgia to West Virginia, mm-hmm. um, and now at Rice. So he's a player who normally would not have been in this situation, but he is. So there, there's all sorts of those type of things, but it's. NIL and the portal, that combination has been something that has, I, I'm not going to say it's level the playing field. Look, what we're we talking about, Georgia maybe winning the national championship again for the third year in a row. Florida State's not exactly like a, a, a nobody in all of this, and they're really good. But there is something to be said for a little bit more disbursement of talent across the country. And you know, the example I've used on this show plenty of times is Devontae Smith at Alabama, where you know, in, in the 2017 season he had the catch on second and 26 that beat georgia in the national championship game in overtime and he, he at that time he was not Devonte smith you know the, the heisman winner he was a, a freshman with like eight catches or something but alabama had so much depth because they were able to keep getting those guys and keep churning them through that You know, all the talents in a couple places, they were always going to win. And now we're seeing some evidence that that talent is spreading a little bit out, which is why, you know, Alabama is not Alabama anymore. And Washington and and Michael Penix, the the, uh, Tampa Bay Tech kid, they might be the best team in the country. Mm. Certainly through three weeks, their resume is as good as anybody in what they've done. So we are seeing some effects from that.
1: No doubt. Some of the talent disbursement has gone to Florida State, and they were riding very high – until they got to Boston College and a team that wasn't supposed to hang with them, gave them all they could handle and then some. Matt, was this sort of an inevitable slide backwards overlooking an opponent, or uh is there anything to worry about with Florida State?
2: I'm gonna lean more to it was just a weird game. Mm-hmm. Things happen in and sleepy atmospheres like a, a noon kick at Boston College. Right. Um you know, I also tend to not Went to poo-poo a road conference win too too much, just as a general rule. Certainly, with with my rankings. That's something Joey Knight stressed before me, and and I agreed with him on it. Um, so yeah, I I think it's more of just some weird stuff. I mean, the quarterback Jordan Travis banged up his shoulder late in the first half. So and then too, let's not forget they were up, I think it was they were up by twenty one in the second half and kind of used up a little bit. So I think there's some weird factors in there that. I chalk it up more to a weird performance than I do Florida State having some some kinks in the armor a little bit. Um, but we'll, we'll see, because if Florida State does have some issues, if it is more than just a one-game trend, we're going to find out this weekend. You now Florida State's up at Clemson. Yes, I know Clemson lost and, and looked bad against Duke in Week 1, but they found a way. You know, their last six quarters have been really strong, starting against Charleston Southern and then destroying FAU on Saturday. So uh, this is a Clemson team that still has plenty of talent, Still has a really good quarterback, and Kate Klubnick, still has some dudes on defense, and if and is still a really good coach, you know the, the 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 bloom is off the rose there with him from how the last couple of years have been, but he's still a smart guy who knows what he's doing. So if there are some real issues with Florida State, we're going to find out Saturday because I'm sure they're going to be exposed in Death Valley.
1: I just wonder if if Clemson is Clemson anymore. In other words, do they have the same mystique they had two three years ago when you go into Death Valley or not?
2: Well, they don't because they don't have the talent. It yeah. is I mean, they're still yeah. a really good team, but yeah. you know, you look at the receivers and the way they rolled through guys. You know, the, the Sammy Watkins, Artavius Scott, Ray Ray McCloud, um, Mike Williams, Hunter Renfro, sure. Dion King, yeah. T. Higgins. Right, mm. it, they don't have those guys right now, and I think, it, and it's not like this is the first year they haven't had them either. So there's a couple theories there one of of, that i think i've shared here before you know jeff scott was the receivers coach at clemson he goes to usf and and the receivers kind of take a dip so maybe he was a big part of that kind of secret sauce and developing those guys that's that's part of it the other thing and i'm going to write about this more in in the tampa bay times later this week but clemson has not used the transfer portal very very rarely Mm. and it's like i said last year clemson's receivers weren't great And another coach, most other coaches, including that Mike Norvell character, they would have looked and said, hey, our receivers aren't what they typically are. They're not a championship caliber receiving core. There's this guy at Michigan State named Keon Coleman. Maybe we ought to try and get him, right? Like that type of stuff. Um, You know, this receiver from, from USF, Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn. Maybe we ought to go after one of those guys. Obviously, they're at Colorado with Dion. So, Clemson and Dabo have not done that. And I understand the argument for why, you know, we want to develop our guys. They fit our culture, this, that, and the other. And, And it's admirable and it's old school. And I get it. But the job at the end is to win games and Clemson had some deficiencies and there was a way for them to, to fill those holes and they chose not to. And that to me is one of the interesting kind of subplots to this game Saturday is, uh, Dabo is as portal resistant as any coach in the country. And Mike Norvell has used the portal as well as anybody in the country. And so that style is going to be on display, uh, for four quarters Saturday. And we'll kind of see who comes out on top and who leaves death Valley as the, the favorite to win the ACC.
1: I'm, I'm going to guess that Dabo is going to start dabbling a little bit more in the portal here before too long. All right. Well, finally, and I love FSU Clemson. I think that's a great game. Uh, there's other great games in in this uh, week's lineup, and and something I've been looking forward to. How about the Fighting Dion's uh, going going to play at Oregon? Step up in class, and they had all they could handle and then some against Colorado State, which was a chippy game, and that's putting it mildly. I stayed up till two a.m. by the way, watching every minute of that.
2: The most important thing here is I was leaving the swamp, and I got home about two thirty. So. I got to listen to the the, the second half. That gave me something to do on I-75. So <laughs> yeah, that was, it did. <laughs> kept me awake. That's <laughs> the important thing. Um, so, yeah, I've been unsure on Colorado, and I think I still am. I think the performance Saturday against a bad CSU team leans. Right. It makes me lean more into, eh, maybe these guys aren't great. Um, yeah. We're going to find out this week. Oregon's really good. Bo Nix is a really good quarterback. If Colorado doesn't generate a pass rush against them, Bo Nix is going to slice and dice them, and Oregon's going to win big. Um, and then, too, let's not forget, Prime's got one next week uh, against USC, where <laughs> same type of situation. So we're going to find out really quickly whether these, whether Colorado's a, a legit top ten, top fifteen team, or if they're in the thirties or forties
1: yeah makes sense and uh I, I look forward to that game in the next two weeks we'll tell another game that's always entertaining never disappoints and well lane kiffin has already begun the back and forth with nick saban old miss and alabama what is the controversy now about who's calling the defensive place
2: yeah uh kiffin was saying something about looking at the way the defense played and and maybe there was a, a coordinator change or a change in play calling that wasn't announced and it's kiffin just poking the bear like he usually does and uh you know, man, he's never boring either. But this is a, this is an interesting game too because if we look at the first three weeks so far, Ole Miss has been pretty impressive. A win over a two-lane team on the road uh, kicked the crap out of Georgia Tech the other day. So they've been one of the better teams in the SEC. Obviously traveling to Alabama that's trying to figure itself out still. Um, if Ole Miss wins that one, they might be the favorites to win the SEC West. I mean, wow. them, them and LSU would, would be the top two.
1: Yeah. LSU has bounced back. Okay, the national game that I'm looking forward to, Ohio State-Notre Dame, two huge brands, two teams off to great starts.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is where we're going to find out if Notre Dame's a really good team or a playoff team because Ohio State, look, they were a little bit sluggish the first two weeks. They destroyed a, a good Western Kentucky team on Saturday. I think their defense has been strong. Their offense maybe started to figure it out against Western Kentucky. And this is the type of game that Notre Dame the last few years has not been able to win, uh, generally speaking. They, they've, been able, they've been a really good team, but when it, they're playing a, an Alabama like they did in the playoffs and that sort of thing, they, they're not quite there. Um, but this is certainly an opportunity for, for Marcus Freeman, the Notre Dame coach, and Sam Hartman, the, the transfer quarterback from Wake Forest, to show that Notre Dame isn't just a really good team. They're a team that's capable of winning the national championship, and I'm very, very curious to see how that one plays out.
1: And uh, we'll, we'll end it with this one. I, I, look, UCF has joined the Big 12. They finally actually get to play a Big 12 team. They're at Kansas State. Um, what will this day be like for, for USF, and, and, and how do you think they'll fare out there?
2: Yeah, USF, Excuse me, UCF has been solid this year. Um, I, I've kind of had them in the mix for, for the 25th spot or so on my top 25 rankings. Um, haven't played anybody yet, but Kansas State is good. K-State is a uh, weird, tough environment um, out there in Manhattan. They're a sound team. Good good offense, good defense. We'll see how how healthy Will Howard is at quarterback and how that all shakes out. But this is going to be a really good test. And UCF, if they're going to try to be a big dog in the Big 12, this is the type of game that they're going to have to play and, and win consistently. But just in terms of what it means for the program, it's absolutely huge that they are in this position after so long to finally be celebrating and playing the Big 12 and, and opening uh, their tenure in that conference against the the reigning champion.
1: Such a great week of college football, and Matt Baker will bring it to you. He'll be at FSU Clemson. Safe travels. Matt, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week.
2: You got it. Thanks, Rick.
1: All right, the Bucs are uh, back at practice. They had a little extra day because they play on Monday Night Football, so we'll have a chance to talk to Baker Mayfield and the boys over there. Check that out on the Tampa Bay Times and TampaBay.com and... It's uh time to get some mailbag questions in here. I got a couple already, but uh, your opportunity to ask us about anything in Tampa Bay sports, even outside of it if you want to, but you know, whether it's rays, bucks, uh, gators, I mean you, you know, lightning, you bring it, and we will answer it all questions one hundred percent correctly or and this is the key part, your money back. So send those in to us on Twitter at NFL Stroud or at sports day TV. Or you can reach me on uh, my email at rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve R. Stig, i Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.